Okay, and we are live with our 29th episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Welcome once again. Before we get started, uh, we have uh, just a couple things to mention once again. AppSec USA is um, coming up, and that's in October. They've got training. Uh, we're giving training there. There's other folks giving training. Jim Manico, who was on, is giving training. Um, and uh, our our guest tonight, Matt Tassaro. Actually, am I saying that right, Matt? Yeah, you're saying oh. it perfect. And it's not Smith, so props to you. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so Matt will actually uh, be there. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna chat. I'm about to introduce Matt, um, but. So we're going to chat with Matt and he'll tell you more, but if you want to, if you want to ask him questions in person and talk to, talk to Matt, um, he'll be at AppSec USA. So, uh, yeah, we'll all be there. We'll also all, uh, be available for questions and whatnot. So I'm going to introduce Matt real quick. So if you don't know Matt, Matt spoke, I mean, <laughs> Matt's spoken pretty much everywhere, like AppSec USA, LastCon, AppSec Cali, um, Velocity, Conf, and there's a whole other list of, I think, AppSec Brazil, a uh, whole, whole list of places that uh, Matt's work, uh, spoken at. Um, so Matt's worked for Rackspace, uh, currently is at, oh, is the um, community and operation, director of community op and operations at OWASP. Um, Matt has done a lot of, uh, uh, basically a lot of work around AppSec automation in the pipeline, and also is currently working with others on the Defect Dojo project. So um, I know that you, uh, Matt, are giving training at LastCon 2018, uh, which is in the, I think, third week of October or the end of October um, on uh, implementing an AppSec pipeline and, and using the Defect Dojo. So hopefully I've... Uh, I've covered uh, the bases of who Matt is, but I'm sure, you know, if you're watching, you've probably heard of Matt. So uh, welcome, Matt, and thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. It was great. I would love to get the invite, and I'm, I'm happy to be here. Love spending uh, or spreading the AppSec joy to the world. Yeah, we definitely, I mean, we're going to kick into it right away. Um, but yeah, we, we love to have folks like yourself that are, you know, veterans in the space and can... Um, can kind of t speak to the history and give context and talk about share their their origin story and war stories and so I think that's where we're gonna kick right off is uh, tell us about your origin story you know how did you get into application security yeah it was kind of a, a circuitous path I guess it was quite a long time ago uh, I was at Texas A and M University I was an undergrad actually in economics of all things before I realized that people would actually pay me to fart around on these computer things. Like my dad had bought an 8088 way back when, and, and he was going to telecommute, <laughs> which is really cute. That never happened on an 8088, but you know, he was going to do it. And I had that in the basement on his, in his office. So we played around with that and played actually my first sort of uh, programming or hacking -y kind of thing was I wanted to win this text-based adventure game that was written in DOS. So I actually read the source code and figured out how to like solve the thing. <laughs> so, like, like, you know, I go, I go way back with computers, but I was a econ undergrad, and I realized like people actually pay people to like fart around on computers. So, why am I in an econ degree? 
And I did the math, and it was actually quicker for me to switch over and get a master's and get an undergrad. So I switched over, got a master's in MIS. Um, and oddly enough, when I graduated, got an offer from a company in Bryan College Station, Texas, which is not a particularly big city, um, a place called Viatel that's no longer with us. Uh, but they had their IT operations in Bryan College Station, Texas, but the bulk of their customers in uh, the UK, the Netherlands, France, and Belgium. It's a really weird beast. And I was hired to be an app programmer to do web apps, actually, back when Netscape was a cool thing. So it was forever ago, 2000-ish, I think. Um, and that was my first job, was writing web apps in, in uh, Java before they had servlets. And PHP 303, I think, was what I was programming in. This is like ancient times. Very ancient, yeah. I am so sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had to ride the code uphill both to and from work. Yes. In but 10 the, feet of snow. In 10 feet of snow. It was <laughs> yeah. awful. It was really funny, though. Actually, I was talking to somebody at a conference just like last year and talking about how like when I had this job at Viatel, if I, if I foobarred something, and I did several times, you'd get a pissed off Belgian calling you at like two in the morning, screaming at you. And I was like, it was so awful because I had to get in my car and drive to work and fix it. And they were like, well, why'd you go to work? I'm like, dude, back then you didn't remote into the office. You freaking drove your happy backside into the office. Like there was no VPN like magic. No, forget it. Like I had to get in a car and drive in. So you want like a good sort of incentive for quality when you get woken up at two and have to get in a car and drive into work. Like it's a great, great quality incentive. And one of the interesting things at Viatel is there was like six or eight of us in the uh, web app, you know, development group that when we would finish before we'd really submit to the QA at this company, we'd all kind of say, hey, I'm done with my app. Everybody else in the team, check it out. And, and the goal was to destroy your coworkers app. And so I got done with my first thing, like fresh out of college, like a freaking idiot. And I was like, dude, I'm done. My thing works. Try it out. And they just completely blew it up to pieces. I mean, owned it left, right, and sideways. I made all the classical mistakes. And it was great for me because it was a very safe environment. I mean, yeah, I had to eat a lot of crow for my coworkers, but it was a very safe environment to find this lesson like, oh, crap, if I ask for a telephone number, people will actually put something that isn't a telephone number in for it. Wow, what a radical concept, right? Yeah, you didn't find out from dark reading or tech crunch or something. No, no. <laughs> and so that, that was a, that was a, a very uh, good experience until, uh, well, w when they started talking about how much cash they had on hand and they were fine and don't believe the stuff you read in the papers. Um, and that would be right when I left, um, right before they dot bombed away. Um, and I spent some time at Animus, kind of the web guy running a bunch of Linux servers and writing web apps for the business school at AM. Um, went to Austin, talked to, saw this one talk where this person I ended up uh, meeting and really liking, Bert Hayes, was saying, hey, we're hiring pen testers. If you want to be a pen tester, you should contact me. Ha ha ha. And I thought, he's kind of joking. He must have been joking. There's no way there. But I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll ping them and see. And sure enough, they were hiring. And I can't believe this actually worked, but I had just gotten my CISSP and they were really impressed with that. So they hired me to be a pen tester because I had a CISSP, which anybody who has one of those knows that's hardly a qualification, but hey, it got me in the door. That's all <laughs> I need, right? That's yeah, all I, was a, I was golden. So I was actually hired to do pen testing for the state of Texas. And I did that for several years. Um, and that was a great learning crucible, just going in and actually doing the other side. Like I'd been on the defense side at AM. And actually AM was crazy. Like it's like, oh, it's campus, it's safe. There's 40,000 bored students behind a firewall. 
We had, I think our average time for this is Windows XP, mind you, but Windows XP, if you put it on the network, was six minutes before it was popped. So, like, <laughs> we went and bought a cable modem router so we could install computers behind it just to get them patched up before we actually put them on the real network. It was nut, man. It was crazy. Wow. <laughs> so, I love your face. <laughs> That's priceless. So much, so much to consume there. So much to... Yeah, it was it was pretty ugly, but I mean, in that environment, you it's kind of it was ugly, but it's also really a great learning environment because you had to make your servers pretty rugged or they got popped. I mean, it just happened left, right, and sideways. Um, so what is? I mean, so what? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, you you were asking me a question. What what's up? No, so I mean, from from this experience, I mean, is this you've you mentioned a few things here where you know, you, so your web app getting owned, your you know dealing with these boxes getting popped. And all this made you want to go into security? <laughs> yeah, surprisingly, it did. And it started with, like, I didn't want my boxes to get popped. Like, they're my babies. You're not going to touch them. But how, I didn't have a clue how to do that. So I started reading, like, how do you, like, harden a Linux box and that kind of a thing. And then I don't remember where I read. Somewhere some somewhere along the line online, somewhere I bumped into WebGoat. And I was like, oh, this WebGoat thing, this is interesting. And I poked around with it and, like, oh, SQL injection, what is this? And, oh, my goodness. And then I, I realized what it took, and I thought, oh, shit, that thing I just wrote for the business school is totally SQL injectable. I need to go fix some code. <laughs> I mean, it, it was, you know, literally like, oh, God, I've, I've like, made all of these mistakes of what I've just learned. Um, and I think it was the, to me, the thing that, that keeps me in security and the thing I like about doing, particularly application security, is, it, like, the whole app development world is very messy with loads of gray. And you end up with these computers that have, or you know, systems or apps, whatever, that have issues that are that are. You have to keep them alive for the business because they're in most cases, like right, a business is writing an app, they're making money off of it. So you can't just turn the thing off or shut it down for a week or whatever. So you have to sort of find this happy medium between keeping the thing up and running and working and being protected. And so I, I find that like super, that's where the really interesting, challenging ideas is. Hey, we need to do this thing for business reasons, but it has all these scary parameters. How do we make this not scary? And you get to you know do a little chin scratch and figure out, oh, well, what we can do is if we do this, and if we make sure we check this, and then we only allow these kind of things, then we're better. And so for me, that's been the draw for security. That and it, like, it's never stopped changing at crazy speed. Um, which no, is I mean, standards keep changing every year in AppSec, you know, like, I mean, oh. there's new changes to, to CSP, there's new changes just to browser standards in general, like all the time. It, you know, one, one of, of my changing. Yeah. One of my favorite tweets that I did ever, which was a long time ago, was RFC stands for read, forget, and create your own. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Like I, I got I, this was back in the Viatel days. We were implementing a uh, oh shoot, um, XML RPC according to the RFC, and it was like a release candidate too. So it was very late in the in the process, and we made this entire system work with this RFC uh, standard for. XML RPC, and then the final 1.0 came out. Totally different. <laughs> like, uh, great. That's how release really candidates right? work, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, like, well, there's a my reason they call it the bleeding edge, right? I mean, ugh. Yeah, I mean, from from my limited, this is just from like uh, anecdotal. Like, these are just from stories from other people that have been involved in RFC, like creating RFC specs, but like. From what what they've kind of said is that you'll go through this long arduous process of getting everything, you know, get, getting the 
thinking through a lot of this, the standards, getting it all written out, getting, you know, having that back and forth with maybe one or like one or two people really. Um, and then at the very end, several people, like when you're like, all right, we're, we're ready to, to basically release this. Then a bunch of people pile on with, you know, this, that, and the other. And so that one or two people that, that's been working on the spec the entire time end up having to rewrite things and dealing with that. So that's, well, that's just what I've heard. Well, that makes sense because right because when it's about to go and be released, that's when things get real and you wake up and have to have a you know wait. There's a deadline. Oh crap! I'm engaged. I mean, I'm guilty of that too. Like mind you, I've done the same kind of thing. Like I like that's one of the nice thing about doing talks at conferences, right? Propose a talk on something that's not quite done. Awesome, because guess what? I'm going to make sure I get it done before the talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, so I mean, some you know I I can't blame them, but that's that's a lot of ways how the world works, man. Oh, wait, there's your guys are being serious about this. We're almost close to being done. Well, I have all this input that I've been sitting on for six months. Here you go. Yeah, no, you're, you're right about it. And the kind of the funny thing is with like talks is I don't know how true this is for everybody, but I don't know. Like speaking of talks and last minute talks, like, or, or last minute putting together a talk, those are honestly some of the best talks are the ones that are put together last minute don't get me wrong there's nothing there's nothing wrong and i do it all i'm pretty much one of those people that likes to refine a talk and have it done way in advance but there are plenty of talented people who put their talks together last minute love it and some of my best talks are ones that i just didn't feel as confident and i kind of put them together at the uh at the last minute didn't have the time and that can work out amazingly yeah, AppSec EU 2009, I had talked with a friend of mine, a good friend of mine at OWASP who was working for a bank at the time, and they were using a bunch of OWASP stuff and had this really cool story. And so I had this whole thing laid out in this presentation. It was about one-third this one thing they did and two-thirds this really big thing they did using OWASP material. And I think it was the day before I got on a plane to fly to Poland to do the talk, my friend called me and said, dude, I'm really sorry, but my manager heard about you doing this talk, and you can't do the two-third part. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm getting on a plane tomorrow, dude. And like two thirds of my talk just went poof. So I like, okay, whatever. Like I'll take it out. And I got to the hotel and I, I just basically went through and found a bunch of OWASP projects that I thought were cool and did a, like one or two slides on them that said, this is what it is. This is what it's useful for. This is why I like it. And I called it OWASP ROI. And, and I was so embarrassed to give that talk. I thought I'm going to get booed off the stage. It's going to seem so lame. People freaking loved it. I gave that talk like six times. <laughs> I mean, the backstory was I was like at the hotel the night before the talk going, oh, shit, I have two thirds of a deck to fill. I got to do something. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, like that can work well, out perfectly. Yeah, the way the sausage is made is sometimes not so pretty, but, you know, hey, it works. I mean, it also definitely depends on the speaker, right? Like you're, you've done a lot of speaking. You're I consider you to be a talented speaker. There's I don't think there's any question on that. And then, you know, so there's some aspect of that that's just you know can tell a story it's entertaining right and then there are definitely people that no matter how structured that the talk is not as comfortable not as entertaining not as engaging so well and i i just tend to try to ask myself like if i was in the shoes of the people i want to be in the audience what would i want to hear right and and a lot of my talks actually even since that one the os bar one in 2009 have been like i'm running an appsec program how can i make your life suck a little bit less because it's it you know it's been fairly hairy for me the various and sundry appsec programs i've been par a part of right and so that's seth, been my shtick forever seth you've never you've never done a talk like last no. minute have you 
Oh no, never. Wait, yeah. Let me let me think about that. I I I can neither confirm nor deny exactly what you're asking me, but no, like it's interesting how that works, right? It just the pressure of you know procrastination and actually like those creative juices that flow that seem to flow the night before that don't, right? I mean, I've had talks where I've got it prepared like you, right? Like in advance, it wasn't necessarily that two thirds of it went away because I didn't have permission, but two thirds of it, I just threw away at the last minute, right? Because I'm like, you know what? I don't like this. This is crappy. Yeah, I don't like <laughs> this anymore. I don't want to talk about this. So I'm going to just change all this and we'll just we'll just go with it, right? But it does take a, a, a little bit of, I mean, it puts a little bit of the fear of God in you, right? As far as oh, like, yeah. I get up there and I'm like, all right, I have to be entertaining because I'm not sure about this content. Right? I'm really not. So what other anecdotes, what else is in there that I can actually talk about? Um, right. So, you know, you, so you're, you're circuit, circuitous, whatever. It, uh, well, I can't talk today. Apparently. An indirect path. Your path in, yeah, there you go. Your meandering path into information or into AppSec. Um, like I, I just had a couple of questions about that. Right. So it sounds like your, your first main security job was, uh, Penetration testing at the state? At the state of Texas. I looked at a whole bunch of different state agencies, which was interesting. Okay. Uh, in some cases, year no, that, over year. That, that, that is really interesting. I mean, was it like, it, we're talking probably early 2000s that you were, you know, taking this job, right? 2004, time, 2005. Yeah. Yeah. At that time, that's pretty, uh, that was pretty cutting edge, right? I, I mean, that was about the same time that I took my first penetration testing gig. And or security gig, and it was and it was at a bank, so that was more compliance related. So, what were the drivers like? Why was the state actually getting into that so soon in the cycle, as opposed to? I mean, I know like the state of Utah where I live, it was years. Like, I, I don't think it was probably like seven or eight years ago that they actually formed like a penetration testing team. So, what was it? What were the drivers down there that caused that to happen? I, I would probably put it on the shoulders of a. Uh, the, at the time, there was a CIO or whatever you want to call it of the state of Texas. Um, Eddie Block was his name, if I'm remembering correctly. But it's been a lot of years, and I've slept a lot, so I might not be. Um, but he was a security person who happened to become the CIO of the state of Texas, um, and so he already had that in his background, and he knew what penetration testing was, and he he set up a really progressive team. Um, unfortunately, somebody got put in charge of him that was not as progressive and in between when i interviewed and when i showed up for work which was about a month um because i had to move my family from bryan college station over to austin um everybody but one person i interviewed left and you move luckily you didn't move your entire family right i didn't move my yeah. entire family i mean it was one of those ones there was another case where you were like oh god what have i done but in retrospect like i lived through it and i had to learn like a whole bunch of junk on the side and it was kind of like it was interesting, like IT archaeology going through, because they had us separated from the network pen test lab with all these boxes. And I would go through and I had logins for them and I could log in and see, oh, they set up this tool. What the heck does this tool do? I'd do a little research and go, oh, that's what that tool does. Cool. I have to play with it. And you could, it was, it was really interesting because you could see this evidence of this very clueful team <laughs> that unfortunately left right before I got there. Um, and then luckily a good friend of mine, Dustin Dykes, that I've known ever since I was about 2005, was a contractor that was hired from AT&T to do pen testing and had done pen testing for a long, long time. He do now does the Dallas Hacker Association uh, group up in Dallas. 
a DHA. Um, he was there and I, and, and luckily I could lean on him cause he had done pen testing. I'm like, dude, I'm completely new at this. I know sort of what I'm doing, but like, like there was one time where I, I found a TNS listener, which is an Oracle database thing. Um, and I could connect to it and I pulled down a bunch of records and I called Dustin. I was like, Dustin, dude, like, how do you know when you found a honeypot? Because this was really not that hard. <laughs> and he's like, well, how many records? I'm like, I don't know, like 60,000. He goes, that's not a honeypot. <laughs> yeah, that's just a regular. That's just a regular, <laughs> like, OMG, you got to call somebody now kind of situation. Yeah, it was, it was, but Dustin was super helpful for me because he, he, I had somebody, that's one of the, and one of the reasons why actually I got into OWASP because after I was at the state of Texas, the proper, I went to the TEA, which is the Texas Education Agency, K through 12 for Texas. Um, and Bill was their AppSec guy because I had a very, let's just say I was, I had productive results for the chief of security there, Wendy Nather, actually, if you know Wendy oh, Nather. Yeah, no, we know. I mean, yeah, I love Wendy. Know Wendy. I, I got to work for Wendy. She was there at the time. And um, she liked what I had done in an engagement with, with TEA and took me to lunch and said, why don't you come work for me and do AppSec? And I'm like, dude, I'm totally down for that. So I was the AppSec guy at TEA, but it was 100, and 100 120 developers and me and a handful of QA people. And that was it. So for me, OWASP was where I could go and kind of be amongst my tribe and talk shop because I couldn't talk shop at work because I was the only AppSec person. Um, so that like that, it, like this kind of interaction we're doing here is fantastic too. Like any interaction with somebody who's been in the business and you can bounce ideas off of that is so hugely valuable, particularly when you're new and they're, you know, you just don't know. Oh yeah. That yeah. was my main, I mean, we've got a no wasp, another Virginia chapter here. And, uh, I moved here a decade ago and that was like that. Yeah. I was there regularly. Because for that reason, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, John Stevens, I'm sure you know John Stevens. Oh, yeah, John is crazy smart, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was one of the chapter leads. And we used to, I remember sitting next to him, he'd pull out his laptop and he'd be showing me like some Python code, some stuff he's work, working on. Actually, that was like later one of their products, but he would just sit there and just show code. We, I would show code, like we'd, we'd bounce ideas off each other. And like, you just didn't have that if you, you know, if you didn't kind of like seek it out and go to those chapter and we're fortunate enough to have a, a chapter here, you know, not, not everywhere. I mean, it's in a lot of places, but it's not everywhere. Right. Yeah. I feel for the people. Mm -hmm. like and even that. then it's, it's, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Even then it's inactive. Right. Um, no, I was just going to say like, it, it definitely there's, there's more opportunities now, right. To, to find that sort of a group, but I, I'm still surprised at the number of, of companies, just like Matt, your situation, the number of guys that I talk to that are in a similar style situation, especially at startups, like you go down into like Silicon Valley or wherever, and it's like one security guy or one AppSec guy, and he's got 200 developers he's trying to support, and he's working, you know, 10, 12 hour days, he has no one else to talk to or bounce anything off of, right? Um, then again, then you've got like people like Ken and Asta that work in the like in the security like uh, you know fantasy world, right? Utopia. As, as we call it, utopia, <laughs> right? Be because they do have all of those resources. Um, I mean, it was easy. What you know, once Ken joined me over at like a consulting firm, right? And that's what we're doing on a daily basis. That team mentality is there, so you do a lot of it. You don't have to seek that out quite as much. But the recommendation to go find those people when you're in that situation is invaluable right you've got to oh. you've got to get out of your shell a little bit that you can find them yeah Sorry, that, what that, were you gonna say well i was gonna say that that had a complete 
uh, upward trajectory change to my professional career. Yeah, getting involved in OWASP and talking okay. to people. And yeah, and what was it? Uh, 2008, they did a OWASP, they did a summer of code. And I signed up to do a summer of code. I got paid, I think, two grand, which I, I figured I could have worked at McDonald's and probably made better hourly wages after all the time <laughs> I invested. But I, I did what was called the OWASP Live CD back when Live CDs were cool. Um, so it was a it was an ISO image that had a whole bunch of bundled AppSec tools on it, and that thing like went crazy. The last time I did stats on it, which was forever ago, I think it was 2010. I think it was a long time ago. Uh, it had like 300,000 downloads. Wow, that is yeah. 300,000 is a huge number. It was and crazy. live CDs were very popular. Like there was, I mean, there were a few. Uh, around that same time, not like web app ones, just like live CD in general, like using, I don't know, was it backtrack or something like that to, to pen test against those. Yeah. The uh, Nopics and those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was crazy. Like, uh, and what was really funny is I was using, uh, you know, I'll give them props. This, I was using Bluehost, uh, this hosting company that was literally like one of those $6 a month unlimited bandwidth shared hosting thing. And I had two terabytes of downloads in one month. And I'm like, they are either not looking at logs or they know what I'm doing and they're just kind of turning a blind eye or I'm on with a bunch of really dead people and I'm averaging out. But I just kind of, just kind of for years on that hosting company, <laughs> kept pushing awesome. ISO images up to it and they just, you know, they were downloaded and they never complained. So, you know, God bless them. That was really nice of them for years. I really, uh, rode the line of the unlimited bandwidth services they provided for six bucks a month. <laughs> yeah. Well, in that case, unlimited comes in handy. Yeah. <laughs> well, if I was, yeah. if I was billed, it wouldn't have happened. I mean, <laughs> not by oh, usage, yeah. no way. Oh no, no. So one of the things I was, well, uh, one of the things we wanted to, to ask you about is, you know, your current position with OWASP is the director of community operations our community and operations and uh you know like just basically for those who i mean i'm actually one of those people i'm not familiar with what the role entails um so what is it that that you're doing uh at owasp currently so it's it's owasp is a, a funny thing because people think of owasp as this uh, and a lot of times this big enterprisey kind of thing i think mm -hmm. where these herds of security people do these awesome things which if you talk about the community that's definitely true but in terms of like FTEs that actually work for the foundation, it's six. And as of September 3rd, it will be five. So 220 chapters and 90, well, just right under 100 projects managed by five people and two international conferences and I don't know how many regional events. So it's, it's, I do kind of everything. But it, on paper, I'm in charge of the community, which is really primarily chapters. Um, and then even then, I, I need to give props to Don Aiken, who does um, really 99% of the grunt work with chapters. Mm -hmm. um, she, she's beautiful and very detail-oriented, which I'm not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she's great. I, she like, crosses every T and dots every I, which is not me at all. I'm very like, oh, it should just kind of work. Um, and then the other thing I do is uh, just operational things like making sure the vendor who did your food for LastCon gets paid or um, IT stuff. Um, I, ideally, I would like to do a lot of IT infrastructure upgrades because honestly, most of the IT infrastructure at OWASP is very aging. Um, and hopefully this fall, I'll have the bandwidth to get some of that done. OWASP is sort of suffering right now from its own success in that it's grown really fast. 
Um, and the, the staff and the IT systems haven't kept up with that growth. So we have a lot of older legacy things that are just holding us back. You know, finding out, even getting like our CRM really well designed and set up is not there yet. Um, and so there are these sort of unfortunately ugly and unsexy IT backend things we have to do before the fun stuff starts. We've had a couple fun stuff things like meetup.com, OWASP has a, a corporate account, whatever. Um, and we paid some money. We didn't pay. Actually, we got a volunteer from the community to write a plugin for uh, MediaWiki, which is the wiki software we use, that you can plug in and write this one little special tag in MediaWiki, and it lists all of your meetup events magically and automatically inside of your wiki page. Oh, that's so. really nice. Because for the longest time, for the longest time, it was, um, I think, I, actually, I could be wrong. And I'm thinking, by the way, I'm thinking like, when meetup.com first came out, I believe it was kind of taboo to put your meetup.com on there on the wiki and like there wasn't any written rule against it, but I, but if I'm not mistaken, it was kind of preferred that you do all of your stuff through the wiki and people ended up kind of realizing like meetup.com is working better. Right. Well, and it has like the network effects of meetup.com are awesome and you don't get that with the wiki. The problem from an OWASP infra, like infrastructure or operational side of you is it's hard for us, particularly before we had a corporate account, to go in and go, oh, wait, Cincinnati, uh, they have a meetup, so let's log into there and see what they did. Oh, but uh, Shanghai, they don't use meetup, they use this other thing, so let's go in and, you know, if you have like N number of systems and five employees, like, doesn't work. But with the API of um, meetup and our corporate account, and we've started to really, if we find a chapter that isn't using our corporate account, we're like, hey, guess what, you're paying for it out of your chapter funds. We'll pay for it if you come here because we get the benefit of it now being like centrally managed and we can see and have visibility into what's going on with chapters, which is a great thing for the foundation. So wow, there's a so lot of those kind of things that are, we're trying to get to, but there's, you know, stumbling blocks of like, oh, we'd like to do this thing. Okay, let's look. Oh, this thing behind it's broken. Okay, how do we fix this? Oh, this other thing behind it's broken. Oh crap. What do we... <laughs> okay, fix this, then this, then this, then we can do the fun thing. So there's a couple of those sort of unsexy data management-y kind of things that we have to fix first. But once we get those shored up, we can do some kind of really cool stuff. So there's like yeah, there's, IT infrastructure. There's two, you said 220 chapters. Is that what you said? Yeah, rough numbers. Yeah, 220 is the last number I remember. It's probably close to accurate. There's a ton of projects. Like if you go to github.com forward slash OWASP, there's, and I know that's not even like where all, I know not everything is stored under that uh, OWASP org uh yeah. on on github but there are like so there's 114 repositories so there's plenty of projects that are on there so a lot going on clearly yeah. all the conferences all, all the, the conferences, conferences. yeah we, we've done two one appsec us and appsec eu the major sort of global appsecs every year um and then there's been a, a handful of regional ones uh, across the world uh, i know there's several in europe there's several in the us um, there's been one in Japan. We did a, a global, what did we call that? The, oh, the OWASP World Tour, where we had in Boston, in Tel Aviv, and in Tokyo, a free one-day training that OWASP just funded. And it was just literally like, hey, come on, let's do what we can. Tokyo, like, crushed it. They had, not only did they have it in Tokyo, but they remoted it to seven different places in Tokyo, and over a thousand people attended that free one-day training. Wow. Which was, which was rock and roll. We were like, hey, if you can get, you know, 500 people, we're happy. And they were like, no, we've got 1,000. Like, rock on, that Tokyo. Works. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So you've got, so you've got IT infrastructure, 
uh, as an initiative. Are there like any other initiatives that are kind of like big on your radar for the upcoming year? Yeah, the two big ones that I would say that I would love to see get completed, and it's it'll be interesting to see how far I get to be real honest with you. We still have mailman running, um, which God bless us. Like everybody loves it who's been around for a long time, but honestly, that thing just needs to be taken out behind the barn and shot. Um, one, because the server it's on is in a really horrible state and was never in a good state, even when I inherited it back years ago when I started like kind of helping with IT for OWASP. I mean, two, it's just... It, it, if you ask my daughter who's 16 about mailman, she giggles, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, <laughs> It's an anachronistic no. thing. Like I might as well have a sundial on my wrist. You know, it so, just doesn't work. So I'm, I'm a, a Rails Goat project, which hasn't been super active uh, as of the last like maybe year. I haven't been super active, as super active as I used to be. Uh, but anyways, that, that aside, throughout the lifetime of that project, I've been on mailman and I, I can't honestly remember a time where a valid, like anything other than spam really came through because these days it's pretty much like um, someone will either reach out to me directly on Twitter or I'll get an email. But more, more often it's like an issue gets submitted or something, you know, like, Oh, this, this, uh, this wasn't documented quite the way I want or whatever the case is. So they'll open like an issue on GitHub or something, you know, I, I rarely, yeah, I, I guess I'm two thumbs up for, for killing that thing off because it yeah I, I as a project leader can tell you that i don't really use it yeah the, the idea is to use discourse which is a modern forum slash you can you can make it a mail list if you want to actually do this antiquated email thing um as well but like and the other thing that gets me is like, we have a slack channel which is actually really cool but the thing that gets me with the slack channel is that it's not indexed by google and at least as ugly and awful as mailman is our archives were public and you could actually Google something and find an answer in the archives back when that was more trafficked. Now we oh, have, that's a good a, point. Yeah. We have a dying mailman that's not really being used, but not a place where this knowledge that gets passed back and forth is indexed by a search engine. And so if we do a discourse, we now have something that for people who are just casual OWASPers, they can actually find something in Google and answer to a question and, and, you know, actually, find out, oh, there's this OWASP thing and they have this cool forum and they have information. I know there's a link to the wiki page and I can now read about this project that'll help me with my thing and done. So that's that's one of the big ones. Um, the other big one is it's a combination of redoing our CRM or at least updating our CRM and then fronting the wiki with a more brochure-ish website. So mm -hmm. the wiki is I mean, that's another thing. If you ask my 16-year-old daughter, she goes, oh, yeah, that wiki, it looks like a dinosaur on the internet. It's cute. I thought you were Wikipedia. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay, fine. You're so, ruining it. <laughs> you're ruining it. So we, we want to put something in front of the wiki because the wiki is still actually very useful. And, and for wiki-type like collaborative editing in a public space, the wiki is very useful for that. But that's a small slice of what we really need in terms of a web presence. And so we want to put a more public kind of normal website in front of the wiki that's our entry page. Because honestly, if you ask like some of the other non-technical employees, like uh, I know Kelly, when she got hired years ago for OWASP and we just, the wiki was it, she wasn't sure that we were really a company or an, it, like a real <laughs> thing. She, was, she actually asked some friends like, is this OWASP thing real? Because I don't look at that website. That's scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... Well, I mean, so you, 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 you can always just, yeah, yeah. You can always just move to WordPress, right? That'll, that, that'll, <laughs> that'll fix it. At least you can get that up. Yeah. That'll solve all of it. <laughs> I mean, 
not only is OWASP, you know, but also like for, okay, so the, the field of application security, um, I know you both have had to, as many times as I've gone through this, I know the both of you have gone through this where you're like, someone's like, oh, so what do you do? And you're like, oh, I do application security. Oh, so like computers, viruses, you know, there's like <laughs> AppSec's not, no so now I, for the longest time, my wife used to call, she used to tell people I was a hacker. That's what she'd tell people. Yep. And I was like, don't say that. That's got a negative connotation. After this many years of trying to explain what I do, I just now I'm like, yeah, I'm a hacker. That's what I do. I'm just a hacker. <laughs> just, just deal with it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I, the, the best I've been able to come up with is I try to make websites where they don't get hacked. Because at least then you're kind of spinning it on its head and it's a little bit, you know, it's still like non-technical people can get it. But it it's not like I'm a hacker. Yeah. But <laughs> my nice. my son in in oh, what was it like third grade had to do a school thing like what do you want to do when you grow up? <laughs> and so he drew a guy with a laptop and wrote hacker on the bottom of it and had to go in front of his class and hold up his picture that said I want to be a hacker because <laughs> he knew what I did. <laughs> and I'm like, like oh, my dad. <laughs> I'm gonna have a teacher conference now. Great. <laughs> You're getting phone calls. <laughs> yeah. Oops, no, no, no. Then they're just afraid of you, right? That's, that's the one good too. thing of, about what I do is, you know, my you know, my, my daughter, she's what, like 15 or whatever. And all our friends are scared, are scared of me because, you know, I wear black and I work on a computer and I, I crack things and I have lock picks around, right? And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go with it because... Right. And you've got smiley, that, like mystique. Yeah. Smiley yeah. skull and crossbone flags in your office. <laughs> exactly. Totes yeah. norm stuff. Yeah. Sequence diagrams. It's very oh, normal. That's not scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like, this is one thing I always wonder is cause you know, you, when you talk about putting a new uh, site up for a wasp, like one of the things that I've come across is the, the, like, Okay, so something like WordPress is really, um, it's actually really good for having, you know, folks that are, you had mentioned non-technical staff or non-super technical staff um, uh, being able to make some edits and obviously being able to make some changes. And WordPress is uh, really good for that. And on the other hand, we all know what happens with WordPress, probably more so WordPress plugins, which I think is maybe the the mitigation there, Um uh, limiting, limiting, uh, WordPress plugins, keeping it up to date. I know there's some like stuff to help with, you know, automatic email alerts of like this plugins vulnerable or this version. But, um, I mean, is that sort of like you're something you're coming across where you have to sort of make a balance of like, this needs to be contributed to by other people. So it needs to be friendly enough to oh, de definitely. That's the thing because there's, there's, I mean, there's, you know, there's the the sort of uh, tech, technological Darwinists who say if they can't figure it out, they don't deserve to contribute. But honestly, that's not how I believe. Because um, if somebody has something valuable to contribute, like stumbling over technology is the last thing I'd like them to do. So that definitely is an issue. And you can, I mean, there are certain things you can do depending on how crazy you want to be with WordPress. WordFence is a great plugin that alerts you whenever a, a, a plugin goes stale and it shoots you an email. You can go log in and, you know, click, 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 update. The newer WordPress is actually auto-update core, which is super fantastic. Um, awesome. Yeah, can, we've had some regional conferences that want to set up WordPress, and it's like, okay, like I'll do that, but like then i got to babysit the thing a little bit more than like AppSec US and AppSec EU are using Jekyll to do a site that's primarily in Markdown and GitHub, 
And then I wrote a little bit of code that pulls out every time there's a, a webhook that comes whenever there's a commit, I, I hear the commit on the server, pull down the latest, rebuild the static, stomp on the existing static site, and Bob's your uncle, right? It's just updated. Like, right. I love those. Operationally, those are like stupid easy to maintain. Um, but you have to have somebody who's comfortable doing markdown and shoving it into GitHub, which is not everybody. Yeah, Seth and I have both come across that where it's like, it's exactly that. It's that markdown isn't necessarily the, even if you're doing it through the web UI, it's like, okay, I have to go to this site and I need to create an account and then I need to go to, wait, where do I need to go on there? Okay, so then what do I do? What do I call the file? How do I create the file? Okay, and then I need to edit it. What's markdown? And I, like, yeah. Very, very quickly. And whereas, you know, you can create them an account, same, same thing, create them an account on WordPress or whatever. And then they log in, but like it's much more intuitive. By the way, I, I actually posted that uh, a link to WordFence. Oh, uh, good. For anybody that wants to check it out. OWASP has used them for years, uh, the free version, not the premium version. Sorry, WordFence. Um, but it has worked, at least the free version has worked great for us because the, 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 the events that wanted to run WordPress, I would at least get an email that said, hey, on this site, this plugin's outdated. I could log in, you know, click, 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 and it's updated and then done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's simple enough. Yeah. And they block putzes, yeah. which is another good thing too. That's another funny thing. Like, uh, oh shoot, I, I, I'm, I'm pulling numbers from memory. So these are not highly accurate, but, uh, we have signal sciences donated their agent and it's on triple dub.os.org. And we got 8 million requests, I think last week. And of those, oh shoot, what was it? Like 400,000 were attacks according to Sig Science, and you wouldn't believe how many people, you, I know what it is, like, dude gets Durbuster from the website and goes, how do I use this? Durbuster, <laughs> www.os.org, boom. And then we have Sig Science now, it sees that and just blocks them after so many bad requests. But it was, it was funny because we put that in place and we had such a drop in crap traffic, basically, like internet background noise, that I was able to go to a smaller VM. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's it's insane. Like, and I know we are like probably skewing the numbers horribly at, at at Sig Sciences because our percentage of Tor traffic is through the roof, which I'm sure is not any other place on the internet. Um, you know, like cooking sites probably don't have any Tor traffic. Ours has loads of it, um, and we get a lot of tool traffic and 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 stuff. It's really it's it's been kind of fun actually. In the Slack channel, there's an infrastructure dash IP blocked or something like that Slack channel in the OWASP Slack that when uh, Sig Science blocks somebody. I just post that channel. If you, if you really are curious and want to see, it's kind of fun. Although I say that now, someone's no, going to go like, "I'm going to run Nmap and watch my IP." <laughs> <show up." laughs> yeah, which I, I did. That or they're going to yeah. I did that to myself Crap as a Linux traffic, admin. Yeah. I put Port Sentry on one of my boxes when I was at A and M, and I'm like, "Well, I should test to see if it works." Nmap my server, right? And then I'm like, oh, "My SSH session." Oh, son of a! I got to walk to the server room now. <laughs> I just banned myself. Crap. <laughs> so one that's, of the that, things that, that, that sounds familiar. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, so no. I, yeah, I was the... gonna. Go ahead. Ba, ba, I'm stepping on. Yeah. yeah. No, no, you're fine. Um. Yeah. No. I, like I was gonna just step into kind of one of the the next things that we wanted to talk about. Um. You know, specifically like that I'm interested in is your work on Defect Dojo. Right. Um, I know Ken already posted the link to that a little bit. Um, but for those of us that aren't familiar or those that are listening that aren't familiar, can you give us kind of a rundown of 
where that came from, what the what the purpose behind it is, and you know, just a general overview. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah, Defect Dojo, oddly enough, um, many years ago when I was at Rackspace, the uh, product security team needed a way to manage findings or issues we had with various and sundry products, right? Um, and we looked at commercial products, none of them really made us happy. And Rackspace is pretty much an open source friendly kind of place, so we just wrote our own. Um, that was this thing called Test Tracker. Um, I left Rackspace. Um, the the people I know there, Greg Anderson, now one of the project leads of Defect Dojo, was still there. He's working on it, improving it, um, and actually talked Rackspace into open sourcing it. And so that became Defect Dojo because Test Tracker and trying to find that uniquely, whatever, it, it got renamed to Defect Dojo. And then it's since been up for, oh, I don't know how long it's been on GitHub, three plus years, maybe more. Um, and just in the last probably year and a half, it's really had some substantial growth. There's 40 plus committers. Um, it's really gotten, it got a, a, one of the committers, Aaron Weaver did a sort of a UI makeover on it and really improved the look and feel of how it works. Um, and the, say that the UI is really nice. Like all the, the dashboard info and just the way it looks is like super, super nice. Yeah, and one of the interesting things that I like that I've liked about Defect Dojo, well, there's a couple of things. The data model is is very useful in that it understands application and infrastructure issues, which a lot of the tooling kind of fall on one side of that camp or the other. Um, and then the other thing I like is the fact that it, the way it manages, it, it, it was really a way to manage security activities. So there's this idea in Defect Dojo of an engagement. An engagement is just honestly a bucket to put one or more security activities. So I'm going to go look at the Bob product. Okay, we're going to do a static analysis and a manual pen test, and we're going to run, I don't know, app scan against it, let's say, right? So these three activities can be wrapped up in an engagement, and then you can manage that interaction with that product, say, as as an engagement in Defect Dojo. And, and actually, recently, Aaron added an idea of doing CICD. We're doing sort of continual scans as opposed to sort of point in time as well. So it'll handle both of those use cases now, which is really fantastic. Um, and then I had a, I did a, a training at Locomoco last year on Defect Dojo and the AppSec pipeline and security automation or AppSec automation, really. Um, and one of the guys in there was actually a, a, he worked for a company that literally just did pen testing. And he said, is this useful to me? And I'm like, well, each client could be an engagement, right? And all of your findings go into there and you're done, right? You could easily manage it that way, right? So in heck, it's open source. If you want to open up or fire up a defect dojo per client, you could do that too, right? It's Dockerized. Docker the thing, up it for client one. Everything lives in that Docker. When you're done, tear it down and boof, you know, off it goes, right? So it 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 has it's a, it's basically a vulnerability manager for infrastructure and application vulnerabilities with I don't remember how many a whole load of different ways that it can import. Uh, tools, and then if there's an, a tool that it doesn't know about, you just have to coerce it to CSV, and there's a generic CSV importer. Nice. Yeah, there are paid for versions of, of that, but nothing, uh, well, I don't know if, I mean, I'm not going to say nothing. I don't know of any um, free software that you, I mean, it, that would be really, that would be really useful as a, useful as a consultant, especially if you can like, if you can share that with another consultant as well that's like or have some sort of uh that and have some like historical data so the next because we've talked about it on this this podcast with several people where we talk about the whole like you come in do an assessment do a report come back six months later first thing you do 
go through what you found last time because there's a good chance like a decent a pretty high percentage of it hasn't been fixed oh yeah I, that when i was working for the state definitely you pulled last year's pen test report and went through the findings and you know some percentage of them were still there absolutely yeah so it's nice to have like some place with historical context of like what you know what what all's what all you found from last year, but also, yeah, like being able to share it with other people and having that, that, uh, that data centrally managed basically. Yeah. The other nice thing is there's a rest API as well. Um, so you can actually do automation if you're into that, you know, with Python, Ruby, you know, pick your language, doesn't matter. I do, I do Golang, whatever you like, right. Write it and talk HTTP to the rest API. Um, and then another interesting thing is it has this idea of environments. So it knows if you tested, like particularly in a product security type role, you know, dev, test, or prod, let's say if those are your, your magic three, um, and it'll track things, particularly on the source code side, down to the uh, commit um, that you're testing. So I tested the static analysis of this thing by pulling it out of Git on this commit level, and this is what I found. Like that kind of level of detail is all in there too. That is awesome because I actually, so that's something that I personally do and I don't know of a lot of people, I don't know, maybe a lot of people do it, but I hadn't seen anyone be previously uh, where I actually will put like, here's the commit at which I did an assessment. And then that way, you know, like you, you just know, okay, well, if something was introduced, you know, when was it introduced? So it's kind of a good, like, just kind of keeping record keeping. Yeah, well, I, I found a bug in a particular open source piece of software that was written and using Subversion at the time. And I basically just, it was easy to reproduce the bug. So like SVN checkout, you know, master. Nope, okay, back one, back one, back one, back one, back one, back one. Oh, this one works, this one doesn't. Okay, delta those two. Okay, here's your bug, right? Now it makes life really easy if you can actually track those numbers and know. The other nice thing too is if you can track those numbers, like you said, if there's something introduced, your delta is only the difference between those commits, not all of the source code. And I'd much rather work with a handful of diffs than a big body of source code. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I use Git blame quite a bit these days for that reason, not to like, not to like literally blame somebody, but to find out like where, because sometimes when bugs get introduced, it's not necessarily like, if they're, I'm not talking about a critical bug. I'm talking about you're more like, innocuous kind of just very low severity bugs um and even maybe more of like where do we want to land on this like what's our judgment on this is this something that's is it more of a pain in the ass for us to like basically fix this but cause a headache with customers you know what i mean like something yeah. very that could go either way so then yeah sometimes you just want to know like what's the what's the reasoning why did we make this change because there might be like we knew that there what there might have been a conversation and it might have been like yeah this is not really this is really subjective you know and and the the the, the risk does not outweigh you know the the cost or vice versa so. or like the real world thing of like by the way this company that spends a load of money with us per month needs this feature right <laughs> right and so yes we can fix it but we lose this customer who's given us a mill a month well you can buy a lot of remediation for a mill a month <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah you really can <laughs> So, you know, there's, there's you, like, you, you can buy a lot of insurance that way. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's like real world, you know, beyond just the technical security nuances that come into play, particularly when you're dealing with product security and things that are, you know, sold to people. It, it's, it, it, that's one of the things, like I said earlier, I really like about AppSec is you have these interesting intersections of like businesses trying to make money. And by the way, that business is your paycheck and you want it to be as secure as possible, but not make it unsellable. 
Yeah, you have to make trade. I mean, it is it is never black and white. Oh, well, okay. I shouldn't say that. There are definitely times it was black and white. What I should say is there are often those gray areas where it's, it's, it is very subjective and it's like, what's the trade-off? I mean, that's what I think that's kind of that that it definitely is what keeps this 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 job interesting for sure. Yeah, I, I, when I did a lot of pen testing, it got to where it felt like I was just uh, I mean, it was fun. Mind you, it's fun breaking things. There's no doubt about that. But after a while, you do kind of like for me, I was like, I've written all these reports for like three years. And like all I did is find all this stuff broken and I never see it fixed. And you just like have this very jaded view of the world like everything's crap and all the web apps are broken and so like getting internal that's one of the reasons why i went to rackspace honestly was i could get internal and actually follow these things from like we found badness we talked about badness we figured out how to mitigate badness the badness is mitigated and that whole like life cycle is actually really interesting to me yeah i definitely enjoy the the defense side of things more these days in the consulting consulting like can be a real grind but that's uh that's, it has its pluses and minuses oh, yeah. the, the yeah, fun yeah, clients they're, they're, yeah, yeah well like the fun clients you know if nothing else you say guess what they only have you know 10 hours more of my time and then i'm moving on to next client right if it's really a fun client but then you do have some really interesting clients that really care and are super engaged and those guys are great yeah stefan edwards has referred to what what we do in consulting as uh as being mercenaries, which is pretty <laughs> somewhat accurate. You know, you come in, you, 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 you hit them hard. You find a bunch of stuff, you hand off, Hey, this is, these are the nasty things I did. And then, um, you walk away, you get your paycheck and walk away. You know, yep. you don't you come back the next year. Yep. <laughs> yep. I've done that a lot. It's, it, it is fun. I mean, and, and the one thing that's nice about consulting too, is the variety Right, because and I've I've flopped between being internal and being a consultant, probably because after a while you're like, okay, all I'm doing is dealing with internal business politics. I'm, I'm sick of this crap. I just want an anonymous consultant <laughs> kind of relationship, right? And then you do that for a while, and you're like, oh, I want to actually deal with some real people. So you go back and at least for me, I've I've flip flopped my whole career back and forth. Like now it's been the same. Internal. Yeah, it's yeah. been the same. Sometimes you know you get tired of it, and yeah, it happened with me at Living Social. I was just like. I just, need to change. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've definitely been there. Yeah, we're, we're we're all doing the same thing, and we're all in different like stages depending on where we're at. So, Matt, tell me how you got hooked hooked up with OWASP as far as being one of the only you know what five or six employees there. How did that actually come about? Uh, that was an interesting story. So, um, for the longest time, I was kind of a, a contractor on the side with OWASP where they needed someone to do IT-ish kind of Linux sysadmin stuff and they had nobody. So I said, guess what? You know, you can hire me as an IT contractor. I'll do 10 hours a week, so 40 hours a month. Pay me a grand and we'll call it even, which is not really an awesome hourly rate. But, you know, hey, it's a charity and why not help them? And I did that for years. Um, and then they were looking, this was uh, two years ago? They were looking for a what they called a senior technical project coordinator. And I pinged somebody I knew on the board at the time, and I said, I don't even know what that is. Like, what are you looking for? Because where I'm at, I'm kind of frustrated and stuck. And like, if, if you know, we can work something out, maybe I'll come work for OWASP. Like, why not? I like OWASP, and, and working for a charity is kind of cool. Let's see what happens. And they were like, oh, we didn't think someone like you would apply. And I'm like, well, like, I am. So let's figure this out. And they ended up hiring hiring me, honestly. And that's kind of how it fell out. They weren't really looking to hire. They look, they wanted someone to sort of oversee projects in a more technical level, 
Um, and, and I can obviously do that and did a lot more. Um, and then, uh, when they got the executive director, uh, Karen Staley, that, which was last November, if I remember correctly, um, I was actually at duo security. Um, and I, I bumped into her at, uh, Snowfrock and was really impressed with what she was doing with the foundation and her desire and goals and how she wanted to really sort of professionalize and sort of, like I said, OWASP has grown a whole bunch and hasn't had a chance to catch up with that growth in terms of its internal maturity. And she's all about getting that done. So I came back and I'm pretty darn happy about it. Well, yeah, well the, the, the foundation's better for it. I mean, I know there's yeah. been, um, yeah, there's been all kinds of uh, ups and downs, but I think that like everybody that we've talked to is talking about, you know, sort of the positive direction that OWASP is, is taking and the trajectory uh, this year, next year, um, so which is really nice to see because yeah. you know, let's be honest, like we don't have that. You know, there's th this is this is where all of us are at. This is like you know, this is the community. So yeah, uh, we we probably have a year of of uh, make internal systems better and get some like foundational work done, but then I think it's going to explode. So maybe this like six months to a year isn't going to be super exciting. There'll be subtle small changes. Um, but it's going to really snowball, I would imagine, in about a year, which is going to be great. Like, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. Well, and that's the, I, I mean, that's the good thing. I, I think about the rest of, like, the security community. Obviously, Matt, you've been around for a while, and you've dealt with some of the other organizations that are out there from a security perspective. And for, as far as application security goes, there's not really any other one source that I can point to, right? Whether that's resources and report, reports on, hey, guess what? You wanna know what cross-site scripting is? Here's a short description, but if you really wanna know, go check out this site, right? It's not some random blog post, but there's an organization that's out there that can yep. explain it well, that's got you know chapters around, that there's people that, that can support you in that. Or you wanna learn about application security, this is where you go to. Uh, and they speak to both developers and security people. And there, there's not really anything else, any other places that I can point people, right? I, I mean, I think about the other conferences that exist. If I send somebody to DEF CON that's a developer, they don't get out of it probably what they need to from a security perspective. They just don't. Yeah, uh, there's going to be yeah. some really cool, interesting talks, but nothing maybe yeah. in their wheelhouse. Exactly, exactly. Or, you know, you point them at a, at a a developer conference, right? And there's very few security talks. They don't necessarily dig into all the aspects of application security that we want them to know about. They may talk about, again, one or two little things that are relevant to that new framework or that new feature, but it's not going to be enough for them to actually get a full view of how I protect my application. Um, and so, like, you know, I go back and forth and I like, you know, from being super engaged with OWASP and then like, uh, depending on how busy work gets, right, obviously we kind of fade back and forth. Like it sounds like Meeper, right? You're working for OWASP, you've gone away, you've come back. Yep. Um, but I, I really don't see anything else in the community that does, that provides that same value. Right? Well, that, that's honestly, unless I'm wrong. Well, and that's honestly one of the reasons why I, I came back because it's like I, I, I really want to see OWASP survive and thrive because I think it is the one sort of place that has that AppSec developer focus. 
because I've, I've done talks at QA conferences, a couple of them here and there, and I did one, like I said, at Velocity, very different group, and it was interesting, but I was like the one oddball security person talking at this Velocity conference or this QA conference, and I was just like, look at the weird guy on stage. He's talking about security. This is kind of neat, right? But it wasn't, it wasn't like bread and butter, like this is how you actually make your life better when you're trying to secure apps, and, and that exists at OWASP in spades. Yeah, and I mean, it's easy. Yeah, yeah and I mean, it's, it's, it's hard, right? Uh, like, I think, you know, last year I spoke locally here at like the big mountain data conference, right? And it was, it was very much the same thing. It's a whole bunch of guys that are talking about big data. And then I'm talking about security because there's people there that are developing apps in Hadoop and in other places. And I'm like, you got to think about this stuff. But realistically, you know, I had like, you know, it's a, you know, four or 500 person conference and I have like 10 people show up to talk about security. And that's pretty much what you expect at a conference like that, right? Yeah. Um, and, and it's hard because that's, that is our audience. That is who we should be talking to as application security professionals, but I don't know how else to drive that forward. Right. Um, I, OWASP is a great place to start and to push people, but like, what are your recommendations around that? Like, how, how do you think we engage with that wider community? Yeah, and I'll be honest with you, uh, that is a domain that I'm probably not much of an expert in, and I'm really happy that Karen is here because she's much more attuned. And it's funny, Karen and also Harold uh, Blankenship, we we re OWASP hired recently to, to manage projects, and both of them are not OWASPers. And as a 10-year, I mean, what, April of 2008 was my first interaction with OWASP when I did the Summer of Code. Um, so I have 10 years. Like I'm jaundiced kind of and have way, uh, you know, lots of experience. And I, I've been very refreshed at the fact that both Harold and Karen are going, wait a minute, you did it this way. Why did you do it this way? And my answer is usually like, well, because we always did it that way. And they're like, well, why? I'm like, because we always did it that way. And I, I love the fact that both of them are really sort of questioning a lot of the things we've done and said, well, have you thought about doing it this way? And, and Karen is very big about trying to get some metrics and understand who's coming to our, our conferences in particular in terms of the audience and how to drive people that aren't currently attending to it. But you sort of have to have a, this is how I say, we have to like have a year of foundational data gathering, and then we can start pushing into those other areas where we really need to be involved. And I know Lisa is another OWASP employee. She's been doing a lot of co-marketing and it kind of co-marketing honestly used to be, hey, if somebody reach out, out to us, we'll go, hey, yeah, we'd like to co-market with you. What the hey? But it was more of a like you talk to us, not us talk to you. And now Lisa is proactively going out and talking to those orgs and co-marketing with those orgs that we want to be involved with. Okay. No, and that makes sense, right? Uh, you know, it, it's definitely organizational maturity. And I think a lot of that does come from the fact that it grew so quickly, right? You, you think about the OS top 10 and how that just exploded, right? Especially yeah. due to PCI, right? Let's be oh. honest. PCI yeah, drove that just huge. And the organization itself didn't necessarily support that or it, it didn't have the people or the, the, you know, the aptitude to support it at the level that it, that it needed to be. So you're, you've got to catch up at some point. So I, I'm glad to see that it's actually happening. Um, you know, and obviously Ken and I are, you know, are huge advocates of that, of OWASP and everything that you guys do there. Besides the fact that, you know, we attend chapters, we speak at chapters all the time and we're, we're, we're constantly pushing people that direction. 
Um, and but but would love to you know help out more as we can and yeah just keep promoting it so that so that you guys have the support that you need yeah my, my suggestion to everyone is like uh, we love constructive feedback uh like i mean like dumb dumb things and big things like we had someone say hey by the way your prices for appsec us on this one page vary from the actual registration page and it was a typo i mean that's all it was crap okay fine let's fix it right but it was it was a it, it, it's interesting when you work for OWASP because you know there's I'm I'm in essence nine to five although that's kind of a pipe dream for any of us because <laughs> um, like I'm doing crap at midnight sometimes and that's just how life is but you know I'm I have sort a sort of normal dayish window that I'm trying to work in um, and then a lot of the community is nights and weekends so you have this inevitable time lag of like it's ten o'clock on Tuesday and I'm done with work and eating and I just thought of this thing I'm going to ask you a question. But honestly, I'm like hanging out with my family till the next morning. So you're going to have to wait a bit. And th there's those kind of things that make it kind of challenging and interesting. Um, and it's funny because I was at, where was I at? Dang it, I was at a uh, shoot a conference. They asked me to speak in Vegas. Oh, I don't remember what the conference was. But I was eating lunch at a random table with random people. Like, who do you work for? Oh, I work for OWASP. Oh, OWASP. I know about OWASP. Like, and I, I asked them, like, how big do you think OWASP is? Or, oh, it's really huge. You've got, like, tons of employees. I'm like, no, we got six. And they went, what? <laughs> it's a volunteer organization. I mean, yeah. 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 And it's it's surprising. You know, it, it, it's not, you know, a big corporate something behind it. It's a bunch of scrappy individuals getting together and trying to make the world better. So if somebody yeah, wants well, to. Well, we appreciate your work at it. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Sorry, Kim. No, I was going to say, so. You know, on that note of you know volunteerism and OWASP being what it is, you know how what do you what are some ways you re you recommend people to get involved and to help out OWASP, you know, in the coming year if they would like to do that? Uh, several ways. Probably the the easiest way is to um, grab one of our projects, use it, and provide feedback. I mean, like I said, I've had the OWASP Live CD that morphed into OSWTE that's now the AppSec pipeline. It's at this sort of weird evolution over 10 years. Um, I, like, even when I was getting the 300,000 downloads that I told you about earlier, I probably got 20 emails <laughs> about it. And you're like, I know there's loads of people using this, and I know I am far from perfect. Why am I not hearing more bugs or issues? Or, hey, it'd be cool if you could add this tool. Or, hey, why does it not work this way? And I mean, as someone who's done open source for a long, long time, feedback is just so useful. And that that perspective, like I remember I wrote this wrapper around, oh, this is Web Scarab to give you an idea how long ago it was, which was a reverse proxy like burp or zap. Um, I wrote a wrapper around that so that when you launched it, you could it would dynamically, well, actually, when I first did it, it would it fixed the memory at a gig. Because like I'm in the States, and I have a gig of RAM in my laptop, no biggie, right? I got an email from someone in Egypt who said, I don't even have a gig in my laptop. So every time I try to launch WebGoat, it, it freezes my box. And I went, oh, crap. <laughs> Never <laughs> thought about that one. Hadn't planned for that, no. Yeah, so I, I just wrote a little script that you could either on the command line set a thing and it would remember it or it would default to a, a gig. So if you didn't have much RAM, you could say, you know, web goat dash dash RAM equals 500 and it would give you 500 bags. And it might be slow, but at least it's going to run in your box. So like feedback is hugely valuable to anybody who runs a project. Um, 
And that's, so that's a great way. And then even contributing, like we'll get random people post to the, there's a contact us form, which is like a generic sort of intake form for feedback to OWASP. People will put in there, hey, I noticed there's a spelling mistake on this page of the wiki and drop a link. Great, awesome, like fine, we'll go like make that little typo correction. Even dumb things like that just make OWASP better. So it's there. It doesn't have to be sort of a high bar of entry. I don't need you to be some like uber elite hacksaw to be helpful to OWASP. You just need to be willing to chip in and help in an area. I would say pick an area that interests you because obviously you're going to be more engaged. Don't don't pick something you don't care about. Like if you're not into static analysis, don't do static analysis kind of stuff. Do policy stuff or whatever is your bag. Right, pick that and, and run with it. Awesome. So well, that's that's good advice. I mean, that's good advice of getting getting involved in the community as it is, right? Uh, True enough. Start from start from where you're at, and then move from there. Find something that's interesting to you. I mean, that was going to be my next question to you, but um, you know, if you if you wanted to add anything more to that, right? Somebody who's who's interested in application security and you know coming straight out of school or something like that. How what what would your advice to them be? Ooh, interesting. Well, one, and probably A number one, is realize we were all clueless at some point in time. I did not pop out of the womb with the AppSec brain I have now after 10 plus years in the field, right? Like, <laughs> I had a very different brain. And like I said earlier, when I was writing my first apps, they were a basket case. And and that's okay. Like, it's it's less about knowing everything and more about willing to engage and learn, right? That's kind of the crucial thing. And understanding that you may not feel like you may have the imposter syndrome thing where you don't feel like you can be valuable, but honestly, like even just like when I do training in particular, and, and a lot of times the training isn't with people that are super technical, I learn a ton just from the questions that get asked because it's a perspective that I've never encountered. Like, hey, we're trying to do this interesting thing with Docker and it doesn't work this way in this one particular edge case. And I thought, oh crap, I've never even tried to make it do that. That's a cool thing. I need to play with with that, you know, tonight at the hotel, because I've never thought about doing it that way, right? So you may not think, or you may think your question is naive or not valuable, but honestly, it is. It really is. But particularly if it's, if, it, if it's, I mean, the big thing is like, obviously, don't be a schmuck, right? Don't be the, hey, stupid, why didn't this thing work and provide no details, right? Like the sort of the terrible bug report. I ran your thing and it crashed. I don't like it. Okay, that's some interesting facts. Why don't you tell me I ran this thing and this message got output to the terminal and here at me copying it, pasted into a GitHub issue. I might could fix that, but like I don't like it. It crashed. Eh, not so useful, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Good. Well, yeah, we've been going for over an hour at this point. Like we said, it always just kind of flows. Uh, Ken, you had something that you wanted to bring up though. So. No. I think I think we're good. Uh, the only last thing is kind of like you know uh, asking Matt if there's you know anything uh, you want to kind of uh, well I, I did want to mention again that you are training at La uh, training giving training at LastCon uh, October twenty third through the twenty sixth I think it was yeah I think that's it yeah that sounds right and uh, you know just anything else you might want to leave people with. Uh, um, the only the only other thing we haven't really touched on, and I don't, we don't need to burn a lot of time on it, but I should mention is um, the AppSec pipeline project that Aaron and I do is all about sort of automation of AppSec teams in particular when he and I worked together uh, at, a, at a previous employer, Pearson. Um, we had, what was it, 2,500 to 1,000, depending on who you asked, applications, 5,000 developers, 
Um, we run every continent but Antarctica, and there was eight at its peak AppSec people. So, like, in those odds, you're, like, doomed. So one of the things we did was come up with this idea of automation. And in, and, and like, a CICD pipeline, the idea is, right, you do a bunch of things, and at the end, you hopefully have a deployable artifact. With an AppSec pipeline, you do a bunch of things. At the end, you have findings. Let's say these are existent issues with these systems. And so we did, we've done a lot of work in automating both, well, that, and then also describing, we have a, a, a bunch of diagrams on the wiki page, um, also in our GitHub, a sequence diagram, that's what's behind me, um, to sort of help people think through that. Because honestly, like I've, I made a little thing called, um, oh, GASP Docker, which is my really bad naming. GASP is Golang Application Security Pipeline. Um, and it's a little thing you can run on your laptop. It'll fire off Dockers with tools in them and do things like I ran it against 36 Python repositories, and it came back in three minutes, having analyzed all of them, pull them down, run them, get the results, save it into Defect Dojo. And that was three minutes and a three and a half minutes of time to do 36. So like pretty dang fast. <laughs> Versus a manual assessment on during a manual assessment now. Yeah, this is this must be you. You know, it's this must be you must be this high to ride the ride kind of testing. It's certainly not like, you know, deep penetration testing type of stuff. But if I could do that across my suite of apps, now I have sort of at least set a bar. And I know the ones that are basket case. And I sort of have a map of my existing app landscape to know like these are the ones that are high risk, but they don't have many issues, at least in this baseline thing. But these are also high risk and they have a ton of issues. I'm going to burn time here and not over here. Because a lot of times, honestly, when I've run AppSec programs and if people would be honest with you, it's kind of like this one's latest and loudest. I'm going to go look at it, right? It's not really rational, thought out, planned out. Oh, this one is the high risk and it has a lot of issues. And if you can get your testing down to where even if it's not super thorough, it's fast. I can now run that across the suite of things continually Aaron set this up where he's working, and I think he ran his pipeline like 5,000 times in the course of two months. Wow. 5,000 times in two months. Is, that's, it, a, that's a lot. It, well, if, if like you can run a tool and it takes a minute to run, you can just tie it into a GitHub commit, and every commit rerun the thing. Maybe it doesn't come back with anything, but so what? Like the minute it does, it knows. Like one really cool thing Aaron did with his pipeline is he would write tests that would pass only when the bug he found was fixed. So say I find cross-site scripting in this page. Great, I'm going to write a test that exercises that, and it's only going to go green when it's fixed. And he actually told his development team, oh, by the way, in that last push, you fixed this cross-site cross scripting issue, you can close that bug. Like, nice. why does security do that? Like, never. <laughs> so yeah. if, if you can do that kind of automation, it really starts to change the game. And that's the stuff I've been talking about in the last year and a half. I've really been talking about it for years, but it's really matured in the last probably year and a half. No, that's, yeah, I mean, that's modern application security at its best. You know, you're doing sort of a, it sounds like a combination of asset management, risk analysis in tandem with just straight up automation and yep. getting things triaged. Yeah, big thing. And then and then the nice thing, too, is like we did some of this even at Rackspace in a very early version. But the other nice thing about having a lot of automated tooling is, say, you are doing a manual assessment. You can run your 15 tools against that thing and get results back in a, you know, 10, 20 minutes. And then you spend the rest of your manual time doing the stuff that tools can't, can't reach. Instead of like, I don't know how many times I got paid a high hourly rate when I was a pen tester to do cipher strength testing, right? I mean, that's kind of dumb, honestly. <laughs> yeah. It's not yeah, complicated I mean, testing. <laughs> 
Right. I mean, you know, that's a good point. Use automation to give you the time to do the the human aspect. The use your skill. Use what what you're bringing to the table. Yeah, like freaky business logic problems that tools will never find. And you can spend more energy and and more time on those things. So. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, by the way, I posted a link to that project. Um, and I am now actually po pasting the Git the GitHub link as well. And awesome. uh, you did have uh, Jimmy Mesta. Um, he uh, wanted to thank you for all your uh, your hard work. Oh. Uh, on on the pipeline project and and in general. So uh, he's he's a great guy. So props back right back right back at him. We've had Jimmy on twice. He is he's and. Jimmy is super knowledgeable when it comes to like container containerization and technologies like that. So, well, it's funny because like I feel like I know that domain some until you find somebody like him who lives it and breathes it. I I play on the edges of it and I know it probably better than a, a good chunk of people. But like that homie's really got it down. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he definitely <laughs> does. Like he got uh, the first time he was on, he got hammered with questions and um, he knew the answers to every single one of them. So it was, it was amazing. Yeah, no, he's, he's awesome in that domain. Yeah. Well, awesome. Seth, anything else you want? Oh, cool. No, I, I just wanted to thank Matt for coming on and, you know, sharing his knowledge and experience with us. You know, obviously that stuff's really interesting. I, I, you know, I, I got distracted cause I started browsing your GitHub repo for gasp and, <laughs> You know, uh -oh. all that that's in there because i'm like oh well i can i can really use this you know i've spoken on you know automating security unit testing for a little while i'm like hey i could i could plug into this pretty easily for some of the stuff that i've been doing so there's there's um, a load of docker yeah, files there that are automated that have automated yeah. the tools and, and it's what's really cool is the way that those docker files are written you can almost use the docker like a command line executable where you pass arguments into the oh, Docker, yeah. and it just gets handed off to say the tool and runs Oh yeah, yeah. Because I'm looking at everything like with Bandit, Breakman, and Nikto, and yeah, all that stuff that's running in there. That's uh, yeah, that's very useful, and that's something that I can pass to a lot of the development teams that I work with. Right? Hey, it looks like you're having problems keeping you know stuff up to date. Why don't you just go and run this or go run Nikto against it and tell me you know what 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 your current problems are? Right? So yep. Well, that's, cool. that's one of the reasons why I love Docker because I could run it for realsies in like ECR and ECS with Amazon. But if the developers want to use it, like it's a Docker file, like a fine, like the Docker build and run it on your own box. Done. Yep. Yeah. Run it locally before you before it gets pushed so that it never touches. If there's a problem, you can fix that before you push the code. Right. Yep. So. Cool. Yeah. Um, outside of that, right. Uh, you know, look forward, you know, let's get together while we're down at AppSec USA. Uh, we, we can go chat or uh, people can come find us there. Right. And come Absolutely. say hi to Matt. Yep. I will be there. Um, cool. Uh, Ken, anything else? No, just again, thank you for joining us and answering all our questions and letting people get to know you a little bit better. Appreciate it. No, no worries. It was fun. And thank you for inviting me. It was great. I'll, I'll do it again sometime if you guys get desperate or bored. <laughs> no, awesome. No, awesome. Like, we like to have people come back on. Usually, you know, it's like a couple months after, but yeah, we love to have folks like yourself come back on, especially to give us a follow up with where, OWASP, you know, like where OWASP is at, how the projects are going. So that would be amazing. Oh, cool. Yeah, that would be great. Then I would love to do that. Yeah. Hit me in like, I don't know, four or six months, and I should have a lot more, a lot of news to tell you. Awesome. Thank cool. you. Appreciate it. Good. Cool. 
Um, outside of that, uh, next week, I think we've got Dave Ferguson on, a good friend of Ken and I's that we've worked with for years. Uh, he works, I think, currently still at Qualys, if I remember right. Um, but yeah, join us next week to talk with him. Um, if anybody's got question, additional questions for Matt, uh, Twitter's probably the best way, or is there some other way that they should reach you? Yeah, Twitter's probably the best way. It's it's Matt underscore Tassaro. There's actually an M Tassaro that's a like Maria or Tassaro or something. I don't know that that name squatted my usual username, but that's okay. <laughs> well, we so don't, don't don't send questions to her about OWASP. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> you can, but you won't like the answer. <laughs> well, we've got okay. the uh, we've got your Twitter handle in the link, and also in the. If it's not in the description, we'll make sure it ends up in the description. So, okay, perfect. Yeah, it'll, awesome. it, it'll be linked on the side as well. So, thanks again for joining us, um, and we'll we'll talk to everybody next week. Um, hit us up if you have any questions, or you want you have anything that you want to. If you want to join the Slack channel, we've got that available. Or if you want a sticker or something along those lines, find us and we'll get you one. So. Awesome. Well, thank you again. All right. Thank you. All right. Have a good night, everyone.